Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall with MarketScale, and we've got a great episode lined up for you today with Dave Vernier, co-founder and co-president of Vernier Software and Technology. Dave, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And if you could start by just giving our guests a little background on yourself and on Vernier Software and Technology, I'm going to jump in and take some questions. Okay, great. I'm a real veteran of science education. I started teaching in inner city Cleveland, Ohio, way back in 1969, believe it or not, and taught there in Cleveland and then came out to Oregon, taught in public schools, physics mostly. And then that was in the late 70s, that's a time when computers were starting to become available to normal people and to schools. So I got a hold of some early computers, even before Apple, uh, but and, and started writing little computer programs. And it was immediately obvious that they helped my teaching in so many ways uh, that I you know, wrote these programs just for my class. And I mean, it was just a real major improvement in my what I could do as a teacher. So in the summer of 81, I, I took the summer off and just started, I said, I'll spend the summer improving the programs that I have for my students. These were on Apple II in those days. And uh, maybe we'll try to sell a few of them. And that's how the company started. And uh, essentially, we've been doing the same thing for 40 years now. The company has grown steadily. We still do mostly uh, hands-on science stuff. Making sensors is our big thing. And we write the software to support the data collection. And, and of course, it was originally Apple II. We did the little Commodore 64. Of course, we did IBM PCs and MS-DOS when that came out. We moved to Macintosh. We moved to every version of Windows. We've done uh, Palm Pilots. We did a whole lot with calculators, with TI and CBL, Calculator-Based Laboratory. Nowadays, we're very, very involved with getting things going on Chromebooks, along with Mac and iOS and Windows. So we have now we've grown steadily to about 100 employees. And uh, like I say, sensors are our big, biggest product uh, for doing hands-on labs in class. And then the software that supports it, and we write lots of lab books and then we do lots of training. So that's a summary of the company. Well, and there's a lot that you do. There's no yep. shortage of uh, work to be done, it sounds like, over there. Right. Um, and you've been involved before the word STEM education uh, was even uh, a term or a household term. Um, talk to us a little bit about um, the evolution of STEM and, and kind of pre-COVID, you know, where were things going? And then post-COVID, how have things changed in 2020? Okay. Well, first of all, going way back, this is kind of humorous. I wrote a book in 1984 called How to Build a Better Mousetrap. And the subtitle was, and 14 other projects using your Apple II. And that was a, you could call that absolute pure STEM. The, the idea of the book was to have kids build 
little electronic circuits to make sensors, for example, and then plug them into the Apple II, and then write the little program, which I would sort of help them get started with it. And there were 14 projects like that. And uh, I, mean, I look back at that book, and it, it could have been called STEM with an Apple II, but we hadn't invented the term yet. Anyway, we, we literally are doing the same thing now with Arduinos and Raspberry Pis and things like that. The same projects, almost. You know, things like having a, uh, something react when the, when the sound gets too loud or when the light gets too uh, bright or something like that. So anyway, uh, now as far as, that's ancient history, but as far as more modern history, our company was, like I say, about 100 people in in the spring of 2020 this year we were working like crazy to get more stuff shifted to chromebooks because we we saw clearly that the world was changing to chromebooks very rapidly and we were getting very excited about the national science teachers convention coming up in boston in april i think april 1st even uh which is always the biggest science teacher, you know, exhibitor event of the year. And then all of a sudden our world changed drastically. Uh, so we, you know, we had, like I mentioned before, lots and lots of sensors for hands-on science education. And we had lots and lots of labs written and software to support this. And, and then all of a sudden uh, there's we realized there's not going to be any hands-on science education, so it was a bit of a panic. We uh, immediately switched to trying to come up with something to get teachers through the rest of the year. I think you've heard this story before. I mean, we we actually did totally feel sorry for a science teacher. Many of our employees are former science teachers, including me, and we all said to ourselves, "Oh my God, what do you do? You're supposed to teach science." You don't have, you can't do any labs. You, you can't even meet with the kids. Uh, and we thought to her, how do we do this? The only thing we could come up with quickly was we have all these books of labs. So we we took and offered for free the the lab write-ups to many over 300 labs. Uh, the lab write-up plus we also provided sample data. And then the idea was that the students, I mean, the teachers in a, in a crunch situation like they were in, could it, they could, kids couldn't do the lab, but they could offer the write-up for the lab and say to the kids, go through this lab as if you were doing it. Now here's the data, and you have to do the analysis and come to the conclusion and make, maybe make new graphs and stuff like that. So I think that was helpful to uh, many teachers to get them through that uh, spring panic. And then later we realized that this is not going away real soon. So now we're working on more long-range solutions. That is a, an amazing adaptation in the, the spring. Uh, I'm sure that your customers uh, and maybe even beyond if you offered it for free were very uh, appreciative of those resources. Yeah, I think it was helpful. Uh, I should also say that uh, we were also very lucky in one respect that we have a pro we, a lot of, you hear a lot of companies call uh, make the comment about pivoting in this time right well we literally pivoted because we have a product called pivot interactives which is in my opinion about the very very best product that there is for teaching science remotely 
we didn't develop it, but we're the uh, we sell it, and it's a great product. And the um, it's done by a couple of science physics professors and a, one physics professor and one physics high school teacher, and they uh, over the years have developed uh, oh a couple three hundred I believe it is activities that they have filmed very detailed high quality experiments, and then they have a way for the students to actually change, run, make different conditions. And it's, all, it's as close as you can come to doing an experiment without being in the lab. So we have that as a product. Of course, that was amazingly popular this fall. So that's great. And we had our, another product of our own, which is called Vernier Video Analysis, which lets teachers take a uh, well, students can take even something as simple as a cell phone, take a video of something moving, and then uh, click on the frames of that uh, movie and analyze the motion of the object. So that's a huge hit for physics teachers. So we had those two great products right, to, right at the start, and that was something we could promote, and then we tried to work on some new things. That's great. And it seems like you, your company has been integrated with technology from the beginning. So it, it probably wasn't too big of a, a mind shift uh, to just double down, I guess, in this accelerated online only environment in 2020. Right. But you have to remember that sensors and getting the kids in a lab doing, uh, doing real hands-on labs was what our company was essentially all about. So it was a pretty big disruption. If I could make a joke... Uh, I, I often said uh, I've always wanted to work for a nonprofit, and this year it looks like I might get to. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but no, we'll survive. But it's it's a difficult year because uh, there are just not many schools buying hardware right now, sensors and and devices to make measurements of temperature and pressure and pH and all those things that we do. That absolutely makes sense, and that points out a, a, a real difference between online learning and remote learning, um, whereas online learning could be in the classroom with computers and devices, uh, but really what we saw in the spring and what we're seeing still a lot of here in the fall is remote learning, which is uh, another level of online learning uh, versus, you know, kind of in-class or hybrid right. learning. Yeah. Um, I'd like to shift the conversation next uh, to... I guess your opinion uh, or insights into when STEM educators uh, are, are looking now to, to choose technologies, whether those are online or hopefully on-site next year, um, you know, what advice would you give to those, uh, those teachers, those schools, those districts that are looking for the right technologies to meet their teaching needs? Well, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Certainly, uh, we for if they have to be totally remote, we have I think those two products that I mentioned before, Pivot Interactives and our Vernier Video Analysis, and then we're coming out with a new one called Graphical Analysis Pro. There is a Graphical Analysis, which is a graphing program which we have offered free for years. Uh, it's available on Mac, Windows, iOS, Chromebook, and Android for free, and that's for graphing. And normally it's what we use to graph the data from these sensors. So that's great that that's available and anybody can get it. The only trouble is it's really meant for data collection with sensors. And, and, and there's a few schools that are providing sensors that kids take home and actually do labs in their, in their house. 
that might be popular in some cases, but probably not too much. Uh, but so we've offered a new product that we've just put out. I think it was released this month. Well, in October, uh, and that's called Graphical Analysis Pro. And what that is is we have uh, included a whole bunch of lab write-ups. So these are labs that normally would be done in in a laboratory with uh, students using temperature probes or pH probes or force sensors. But we have carefully filmed the lab being done. And then again, you can see the data being collected you run, and run a video as it was done. So it's, it's, again, we're trying to get as close as we can to having the student there, do, but it's not as good as the real thing, but it's maybe the best they can do if they're not allowed to come to the school. So we hope those will be popular in the places where people do not have um, in classes in, in the school. Uh, of course, if we get back to the normal world with hands-on labs, we, we feel we've got a wonderful collection of both labs and sensors to do those jobs. So we shall see how it all evolves. Absolutely. And with so many schools operating remotely or hybrid because of the pandemic, uh, it's important that science educators have access to these online technologies that help engage the students. Uh, give us your thoughts on, you know, what can be done hands-on or three-dimensional um, as it's outlined in the Next Generation Science Standards. Well, I think that uh, the the Pivot Interactive and both in our Vernier Video Analysis and then this new Graphical Analysis Pro are all about as good as you can get to uh, approaching the concept of hands-on laboratories without getting the kids in a lab. Um, I, our company, our company is all about hands-on science, and we hope that we'll someday we'll be back to kids coming into a classroom and doing labs and writing up conclusions, and you know. But until that time, we we that we can still get a lot of the feel of science and a lot of the the concepts that we talk about in the next generation standards by having the kids get the data from, maybe from us, maybe they didn't do the actual data collection, but all the analysis are looking for trends and looking for patterns, they can do that. Uh, an example would be, we have one where we have the kids, uh, we have videos of, of a cart rolling down a ramp, and, the, the, and we try it with different slopes of that ramp, and the kids have a video of each of those, and, and they get the data on the motion. But they have to come up with a conclusion. What's what's the acceleration due to gravity? That is, what's the pattern if you continued on? So you, the cart's not going down or up; it's just dropping straight down. So th there's a lot of science there. Uh, without, even though they're not doing the actual data collection. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, talk to us a little bit about this next generation of students and what are they expecting that's maybe different from previous generations? Well, they're certainly better at science and technology and using computers and the old joke about um, if, if you want to learn how to, to use your cell phone, ask a 14-year-old uh, is, is more true than ever for old people. Uh, I, I think that uh, it's going to be interesting. I think one good thing coming out of this whole situation is uh, some people have become aware of possibilities that technology offers for, for learning. 
and certainly people are going to be willing to try things in the future. The concept of uh, setting up a Zoom meeting is not going to be considered daunting to very many people after this is over. And uh, I think the world will be seriously changed. Uh, hopefully, districts will realize that the Spending money on technology can be a good investment toward getting the kids uh, not only a, a good general education, but a science education. Um, and to follow up on that, what differences are you seeing in the educators? There's a lot of younger science teachers now. I'm sure you're kind of seeing the a wide spectrum of uh, this embrace of technology or have science teachers really gotten on board here in 2020 by necessity? You know, it's, it's a total mixed bag. But in general, younger teachers especially are, are totally into the technology and doing things that, uh, of course, I never was able to do. We didn't have the technology when I was a teacher. But it's wonderful to see some of the things that they're doing. Uh, another thing that we're doing a lot is getting kids involved in the engineering side of STEM. And that is... Even since back in those old days, I mentioned that book, uh, we've always thought that having kids learn a little bit of programming or at least getting exposed to it is a great idea. And that's part of the next generation standards, I think, a bit. And certainly the idea of doing projects is an important way to learn. You learn things doing projects that you never thought you were going to learn. You just kind of stumble on things. You solve a problem. So I'm a total believer in project-based learning. So we have a lot of things we offer where we have we offer the kids ways of challenge them to do things, like build a, build a device to do some little task. We, and they can use... Arduinos, Raspberry Pis, our products, uh, you know, Macs or Windows, whatever. Uh, and so we, we think that's another exciting part of uh, what we might be able to do in the future. And, and, and as kids get more comfortable with technology, that might be a little bit easier. Absolutely. And, and I'm curious to get your take on the direction in general of, of STEM, which then became STEAM, which then became STREAM. Um, are there going to be more acronyms coming where basically uh, science and math are just integrating into everything now, which is maybe the best thing that we don't need STEM per se anymore because technology and uh, science are integrated into all other subject matter uh, areas. Um, w what's your crystal ball vision for the next year or two as far as where this industry is going? Well, it's so hard to know. Uh, I... I hope that we can start moving back to normal and, and learn from the, what the things that we've become more comfortable with meetings online and stuff like that. So that we we there are some things that we do differently just because we've learned that, that hey, it works pretty well. We don't have to you know, we don't have to go to a conference uh, halfway across the country to, to learn any, something. Maybe we can do it once in a while by a, a meeting. Uh, students can learn from uh, an expert. Maybe there can be more things set up uh, where there's a, a, a you know a person sharing their knowledge and stuff. But and who knows what's going to come out in educational technology with the new devices and stuff. So there there's some possibilities there. I worry a lot about the uh, inequality of things and the digital divide and you know the fact that. A lot of what we're doing right now requires high-speed internet. There's so many 
families that don't have it. And uh, I know that the wealthy people are going to take care of their kids as they care deeply about their kids and they'll come up with solutions like sending, setting up special schools if they have to, home pods and all that. I'm not criticizing that, but it's just that it's, it's so unfair that there are other families that care about their kids just as much that can't do that. Yeah, the digital equity divide has really been exposed here in 2020, and, and it's just crazy to think that it's still as large as it, as it is. Uh, you know, it was supposed to be resolved in 2000, 2010, 2020, and here we are still not there yet. Um, I will say, and a lot of my guests uh, in recent months have given me some hope um, that this uh, pandemic, one of the silver linings, is it really has brought the ed tech community together, um, telecom companies uh, of course, all of our amazing district and school level administrators driving hotspots and buses with Wi-Fi and uh, anything and everything they, they could do. Uh, but it, it does seem like the infrastructure has improved by necessity here uh, in 2020. And, and I'm really hopeful that that continues to accelerate into 2021 to where we can get to where that digital divide is uh, as small as possible moving forward. Um, have you seen that with your customer base, that things are getting better, uh, even if it's not to the rate that we still would like? Well, I, I don't know that I can say that. I, I hope that. Uh, but I, I don't know if I've seen evidence of it. All right. That's that's a good data point to know. Uh, you know, it's, it's certainly a big issue that we're trying to, to solve on a number of fronts, locally, state, and national. So... We'll, uh, we'll keep you updated on future episodes for that. Um, I think I'd like to kind of shift gears again uh, to, you know, the integration of technology and, you know, science and, you know, the, the jobs of the future. Um, how, how have those changed and are continuing to change at a rapid pace and, and maybe help uh, make the case for science, for STEM, for, you know, our students uh, catching up on any learning gaps that are going to be created here in 2020 uh, because of the importance of this, what these skills are going to mean and this knowledge is going to mean for their futures in this world. Well, one of the things I miss most about this time is that we used to do a lot of tours with kids because we thought our company was a great place to show kids many different jobs in, in one building. We had we have programmers, we have website people, we have uh uh, engineers that design sensors. We have uh, people who write books, we, science lab books, and we have lots of business people. But we also have people who uh, uh, test the hardware that was built we, and people that literally pack boxes with sensors in them all the time. But one of the points I make as we go around and used to go around and do the tours is that every single person in that building has to know technology. And literally, the people who do testing follow a computer program to tell them exactly what to do, and they they have to file reports. And, and so it's not just the computer programs who have to be computer programmers who have to be good at technology. Uh, they have to be a special level, but every single person in our company has to know computers pretty well. Certainly how to use a spreadsheet, how to log on, how to write reports, how to send messages. 
so I, I, I hope that when we have those tours, we, we give that message to students that whether you like computers or technology or not, you better learn it or you're not going to have a job. Yeah, it seems to be connected to everything these days, and we don't see that turning back around. Um, but that does kind of uncover um, a, a real impediment to science and, and math uh, over the generations is that connection to the real world. Um, and so that's great that you're doing that with the tours. Um, have you seen any other breakthroughs? I know there's been um, companies that uh, are trying to connect uh, technology to sports and movement or art or uh, you know, um, that type of just, you know, connection, uh, I think roller coaster theme park engineers. Well, ironically, kind of we, a, we do a quite thing. a lot of that. We have, uh, we, we, we sell accelerometers and, and things that measure emotion, but we also sell blood pressure sensors, heart rate monitors and things like that, grip strength measurements. So we have, uh, we actually are writing a book right now on, uh, sort of the, uh, I forget the title, but it's a, it's involving uh, sports and uh, the the physics of sports along with the physiology of sports. So yeah, we're that's right down our alley, and we know that that's uh, popular with students, and we can use it as a hook to get them interested. We've worked with some soccer teams, even with the Manchester United. There's a little connection we had uh, where we uh, have worked with somebody who had a connection there on uh, using our sensors to monitor motion of players and physiology things. So yeah, it's, it's a great way to get kids interested. Absolutely. Well, we're coming up on our, our time here, so I wanted to uh, kind of end on a high note um, and see if you had any, uh, whether that's a, a school or district level or just uh, in general what you're seeing with your customer base, uh, any success stories uh, in 2020 that can give us all a little bit of hope that uh, all's not lost and, and we can uh, get back on track here for 2021? Well, I, I, I feel like there have been a lot of them. I, I don't know if I can pin, pin down one specific one right now. I should have done my homework and got this ready, but I didn't. Uh, I, I think that there is some hope that, number one, people are getting more comfortable with technology. Uh, that's good. Uh, some schools are going to jump on using technology to improve their education in the long run. Uh, I hope I hope that's what happens, and I hope we can break through the the digital divide problem. So maybe this will drive some of that. Absolutely, and and I'm sure STEM will be a big part of that solution. Um, and so. I guess one last kind of point to hammer on uh, one more time is the the need for STEM for students uh, in their future. What advice would you give at the student level um, uh, for any students that, uh, you know, may be looking to go into, uh, you know, pursuing a career in STEM or just for their their core kind of curriculum? uh, You know, what uh, advice would you give to students? Well, when, when I do those tours of the building, I typically get the students into our, we have a classroom, into our classroom, and I shut the door and say, you know, you, we've toured this building, you've seen probably you know, 80 or 90 people, and you've talked to many of them. They're all nice people, and they all, most of them like working here. Uh, but to be honest, some of them make a lot more money and have a lot more interesting jobs than others. And one of the 
reasons is it's how much they understand how good they are at technology and you know that's just the realities of the world so I, I'm not saying everybody should be a computer program but at least programmer but at least uh, you know don't shy away give it a try if you like it go for it if you don't try something else uh, if you like being a, a art, art, artistic person consider web design the reality is that's where the better jobs are and most of the better jobs in the world today are uh, going to involve a lot of technology. All right, and I'll throw one last question in there. There are a lot of adult learners uh, listening, a lot of uh, you know business leaders. What advice would you give to them as uh, adults having to go back and re-skill, upskill, learn coding or learn technology? Uh, maybe an, an uplifting note uh, for them that, that they can do this. Well, I think the answer is go for it. You can do it. It's just it, it, everything involves getting comfortable with it. One of the reasons uh, cell phones are so popular is we use them over and over and over again versus in the old days, people would have a, let's say, a uh, GPS device that they use once a month. Well, of course, it was horrible to use because they didn't use it enough to remember how they used it last time. So just it's, it's a case of getting on something, using it over and over again, and you can get, you can get good at anything if you just keep, keep on it. There you go. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. There's more we can dive into. So, Dave, we're going to have to have you on again for a future episode. How's that sound? Okay. Perfect. All right. And thank you so much to uh, all of our listeners out there. Be sure to check out past episodes and uh, new episodes coming out every week. And remember to always keep learning.